0: One, two, one, two, three, four! Let's get into it. I am Mal Foster, and you, yes, you, you're listening to the latest episode of Dined Out. How are you doing? That's what I want to know, sincerely. Thanks to everybody. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whoever you're with, how are you doing? And I do mean that sincerely, because, you know, since recording this, since the inception of this, this podcast, there has not been a week gone by where we have not been in some sort of state of flux, some new sort of curve within the maelstrom of bullshit and craziness that has been this year. So yeah, I ask that sincerely. How are you doing? I hope it's well. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whoever you're with, I hope you're all doing as best you can. And if possible, I hope that you're thriving in your current situation, which is something we're kind of going to be touching on a little bit today about the idea of us as a collective, as a species, thriving, not just doing well, but doing better, being better, advancing ourselves. As you can tell by the title of this episode today, we're going to be talking about transhumanism. Now, for some of you, you may know exactly what this is. For some of you, you may be well-versed in transhumanism, but for some of you listening... You may have never heard the term until just now. If you didn't check out last week's episode, first and foremost, you definitely should at some point when you get a chance because it was a lot of fun. Getting to sit down with both Pamela and Armando and pick their sci-fi loving brains about cinematic robots, both iconic and underrated, was a lot of fun. And hopefully, if you have heard it, you enjoyed it. But yeah, if you didn't check out last week's episode, you definitely should at some point. Now, this week we are sticking with the theme of technology, but we are shifting our focus into the realm of reality. On this week's episode of Dined Out, we are going to be talking about humans, technology, and their relationship as it stands right now, but more importantly, where it may lead to in the future. <music> So before we get into this, before we go any further, I feel like I have to address the binary elephant that you may or may not be aware of. But if you go digging into transhumanism based on this, then chances are you will find that the the concept of transhumanism, the properties of it, the ideas, the practices are being linked as so many other things are these days to conspiracy theories, but not your granddad's conspiracy theories, not the ones that were fun, that we could scratch our heads at, be bemused at, find fascinating, or just ridiculous. Not those ones. I'm talking about the conspiracy theories, which are a very real danger, that are a huge source of disinformation, the disinformation which is spread at about six times the rate of accurate information on the internet, the information that is just fueling paranoia and propaganda. Um, That's the conspiracy theories I'm talking about. If you dig into transhumanism, you probably won't even have to venture that far before you find the links. But I'm just saying, this episode has absolutely nothing to do with that. I'm not supporting that. I am not behind that whatsoever. I am not looking into it for those reasons. I am understandably distancing myself as far as possible from that wackadoo bullshit nonsense. Yeah, this is nothing to do with that. This is simply an open door that leads us onto the ground floor of a subject that I have found curious and fascinating for quite some time. And hopefully, you guys are going to find it just as curious and as fascinating. To build a base for this episode, I kind of wanted to get us all thinking about our current relationship with technology and some of the significant advances that you may have seen as you've moved through your adolescence, through your adulthood. I mean, I, personally speaking, know of of just how many leaps we've made. When I was a teenager, not to put too fine of a timestamp on my existence, when I was a teenager to get onto the internet, at home I had to use an adapter from my phone line that went upstairs to the computer in the bedroom. Yeah, so there was a bit of setup, and even when you got that done, you then had to connect via a modem, and anybody of a certain era will be very familiar with the awful sound that used to emit. Thankfully, things have improved somewhat since then. Just a little bit. Just a little bit is obviously a gross exaggeration. I mean, think about the last 20 years, the last 10 years, hell even the last five years, and the significant advances in technology are kind of staggering. I mean, the thing that you're probably listening to this show on, a smartphone, is essentially a supercomputer that you can fit inside your pocket. We are constantly developing more power and shrinking it down into smaller sizes, which, if anything, is just further proof that we are not just moving forward with technology, But technology is moving us forward. And it's around that thought, that idea, that concept, that belief that this episode orbits around. As I said at the top of the show, this episode is going to be digging into transhumanism. But the first question I suppose we need to ask is, what exactly is transhumanism?
1: If I had to summarize it, I'd say transhumanism is the belief that science and technology can and should radically improve the human condition.
0: Now, the voice you just heard there, that belongs to James, who is our special guest for this week's episode. I was lucky enough to organize an interview with James, sit down with him for a little bit, pick his brains about some of the fundamentals behind transhumanism, ask some questions, dig into some of the ethical queries regarding the movement, look at its present state, and more importantly where it may lead to in the future. We're going to get into that in a little bit. You're going to hear more from James in just a few moments. But I want to address maybe some concerns that you have. If you are completely new to this, if you are diving into this with having no sort of contextual background, no understanding, no anything really to do with this, if this is all completely brand spanking new to you, you may be a little confused. You may even be a little bit concerned And that's okay, that's normal, that is totally understandable. I mean, on the surface, when you look into these things, some of these ideas and theories and some of the projects that are kind of underway, some of the things you may find if you dig into the internet looking into transhumanism may be extremely daunting. Things like bionic limbs, gene therapy and genetic modification. That alone may just sort of spook you and make you think, whoa, hold on, hold on now. Brain chips, nanotechnology surgeries, mental augmentation, cryogenics. A lot of these things are daunting because they do seem like big game changes. And to some people, they may seem completely far-fetched. And by proxy, some people may think that the whole movement and culture and ideology behind transhumanism is therefore far-fetched. But it's not. Not really. You think about What you do on a daily basis, you think about what we all do on a daily basis, the way that we sort of live our lives, the things that we implement and have integrated into our daily lives, caffeine, manufactured vitamins, or vitamins, oh, I've got to stop doing that, vitamins, (laughs) anti-aging wrinkle cream, protein shakes, supplements, working out using gym equipment, smartphones. Researching things on the internet, this very podcast could all, on a micro level, be considered acts of transhumanism, using science and technology for our betterment. So the things that you're seeing, the big picture things, the big game-changing ideas and developments, yes, they are further down the line. They are bigger in scale and scope. But really, it's just a sort of natural growth of things we're already doing. More to the point, it's a natural growth of things we've been doing for some time now. I'm talking decades and centuries. I mean, for as far back as we can record, as a species, we have been using and implementing tools and technologies to further progress ourselves, not just individually, but as a collective, as a community, whether that is in the field of medicine or just general technology. We have been using the things at our disposal and the things that we have created to further enhance and advance us as we have moved forward through our existence. This, on its own, is a deeply fascinating idea, a deeply fascinating concept, but as I mentioned, I am by no means an expert on this topic, so on that note, this is where James comes into play. As I said, I was fortunate enough for him to agree to be on the show, to sit down with me, to allow me to pick his brains and dig into the subject and look at it from some different angles. Some angles that you may be looking at it from, some questions that you may have, hopefully they're going to be answered here. And if nothing else, hopefully you're going to get a better understanding or maybe reinforce your current understanding of what transhumanism is and what it can be. If the following conversation does actually instigate an itch to know more, if it sparks a sense of curiosity and you want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the things me and James are going to be talking about here, then you can find a lot of his research and work has gone into an online publication, which you can find if you go to the website transhumanistmanifesto.com. That is transhumanistmanifesto.com. I'm going to put a link in the show notes and you can also find it over on the website and I'm going to be putting it across social media. So, yeah, that is the place to go to if you want to dig deeper into this topic. The way that he's laid it out is really easy to understand. It's really easy to read. It scans wonderfully and it gets into more of uh, the topics that we're going to be talking about here with, with more detail and more references. So yeah, if this creates an itch of curiosity and you want to pursue it further, that is definitely the place to go. But in the meantime, let's get into it. This is me talking with James about transhumanism. How long have you actually been interested in transhumanism and how is it that you discovered it for yourself?
1: i I know I've been interested in transhumanism since I think it was either i think it was a bit about mid two thousand twelve I finally swallowed the transhumanist pill and was like yeah this is this is what I believe before before that i was I was very strongly religious and very strongly against all these things mm-hmm. and there was a pretty pretty rapid and pretty significant switch around mid two thousand and twelve I don't exactly remember what triggered
0: it though. So no, no specific incident or something that just kind of occurred that really cracked it open for you?
1: I'm sure there might have been something, but it was so long ago,
0: I can't, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> okay. That kind of ties us into to something that is, is kind of interesting. We're kind of going to get into like a little bit of the ethics here. And this is, as I was saying, parts of, of the subject in which you probably had to, to deal with and, and answer questions on a number of times. But I actually mm-hmm. want to quote, apart from the manifesto, something I that really stuck out for me. Is that but transhumanism is a way of thinking about the future based on the premise that the human species in its current form does not represent the end of our development, but rather a comparatively early phase. And so this led me into the idea of transhumanism playing God. Uh, Is transhumanism a case of playing God? Humans interfering with what would be seen by many as, as as God's creations, or is it simply the next stage of natural evolution, of natural development.
1: I think I think transhumanism would definitely be a natural progression of our evolution. We evolved to have, you know, our ingenuitive minds. And so I think it would be really bizarre if we evolved to have them and didn't use them. Mm-hmm. There's a section in this manifesto on the topic of playing God, which I guess I can just uh, summarize. the The concept of playing God is a little... Silly and sort of just shifts over time. The what we consider to be playing God is always like just past the horizon of the technology we have right now. Like, you know, a few decades ago, intravenous fertilization was playing God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once we developed pre implantation genetic screening, all of a sudden that's the big boogeyman for the playing God crowd. And all of a sudden IVF isn't really a big deal anymore. So as technology develops, we keep pushing the envelope of we keep pushing the line where we're considered to be playing God further and further along, always to be just ahead of where we are right now. Right. And transhumanism, I guess, one easy way of summarizing it would be to just sort of, you know, realize this and just start ignoring that line to pursue, you know, biomedical technological advancements without concern for whether or not you know it's pushing this imaginary envelope too far
0: yeah i i definitely see where you're coming from because it does seem like the parameters change as we move forward it's like the definition of of what is playing god changes Mm -hmm. and so it it kind of has its own it, it rather than being like a solid um concrete based question it's it's sort of value i guess changes and it's yeah. become fluid but it's just it's an interesting one and it's an interesting there's interesting ties i think to to religious aspects and one question that i did have is that do you find that there's a plenty of religious opposition towards transhumanism
1: there is quite a bit of religious opposition to transhumanism but what's really surprising is that there's actually quite a bit of religious acceptance to it as well okay. there is um apparently a pretty large Christian transhumanist association, as well as a Mormon transhumanist association. Hmm. Most religious people are kind of split on the topic, it seems. You know, some people do believe that transhumanism is playing God and that to, you know, mess with the human body would be to mess with God's design. And I guess some other people believe, hey, if we are made in God's image, is playing God not the highest faculty of which we are capable?
0: Yeah, that's actually an interesting way of looking at it, which I can't say I'd framed it that way. But yeah, for sure, if, if as you say, we're framed in his image, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, like the highest accolade, I guess, mm-hmm. a human could aspire to. But also, there's a question uh, to, to be answered for, for those that maybe do uh, look down on it, as you say, as playing with, with, with God's creations in the sense that why, if there is a God would he provide these things if we weren't to use them to advance ourselves forward
1: mm-hmm. that's that's another good point i think i think if you know god did give us an ingenuitive mind he would you know expect us to use it you know we've already eaten the apple so to speak so <laughs> yeah. we might as well you know digest it you said you came from a religious background
0: how did you find yourself um like transitioning in into sort of transhumanism ideas. Did was that something of a a, a struggle or was that was there much of a transition there? Kind of going from one one sort of I guess viewpoint to another?
1: There was there was a struggle for sure. When I was, you know, growing up, when I was really, really religious, I firmly believed that, you know, we should not mess with the human form, mess with anything that God created like this. And so it was, you know, back when I first started thinking about these things, I felt pretty guilty that I was having these thoughts that I was actually indulging these, you know, what I think Nick Bostrom calls transcendentalist impulses. And uh, like I said before, I'm not quite sure what finally, you know, helped me make that jump to yeah. stop feeling that way. But it was, you know, several years ago that I just sort of. Im- Embraced it and said, you know, I, well, I'm not quite sure what I said actually, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a struggle for a little bit, for about a year. I remember really being confused about that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. It's it's, it's actually really interesting to learn that there are religious uh, groups and, and sects that have embraced it. Mm-hmm. But I think, like laymen's and, and people coming into this completely new would presumably think that there would be like a like a strict sort of dualism. You know, you're either on one side or the other. Um, yeah,
1: the the transhumanist community is very broad and sort of, you know, bleeds into a lot of other communities a lot yeah. more than people would expect. So there's there's no, like, hard wall you're just going to have to jump over to and, you know, leave your previous beliefs behind. There's a lot of overlap that, you know, I think a lot of people would feel comfortable in yeah we uh our you know core belief is the value the value of human life and uh you know the value of human diversity inevitably stems from that because Mm. you know there there are people are diverse and so if you value everyone's lives you have to value their diversity too and that's uh you know a pretty pretty common thread in the transhumanist community
0: I want to kind of pull things into some sort of contemporary framing for mm-hmm. a moment. At the minute, and I've I've never seen it at this peak in my lifetime. But at the minute that we are seeing uh, a current growing resistance against science in general. Yes, we are. And uh, vaccinations, and it it seems like I don't know if it's always been there, but lingering in the background. But now it's more in the foreground, or mm-hmm. if it's just become like a gradual surge. But it's definitely there (laughs) yes how does that current sort of growing resistance against science how does that play into the future of transhumanism
1: to be honest i don't think anyone can say for sure how that's going to long-term impact the development of things like life extension technology Mm -hmm. Um, right now you know the anti-vaxxer movement for an example is pretty it's very loud, for sure. There's, a, it's in the public eye a lot, yeah. And it's certainly having an impact on people. You know, there there have been cases of you know diseases that should have been eradicated by vaccines a long time ago, you know, starting to surge again because of the anti vaxxer movement. So, I would I would say that these anti-science movements definitely, you know, are going to make things difficult for uh, the development of, like, more advanced biomedical technologies. Yeah. I think it it stems from the fact that, you know, medical technology is starting to advance pretty radically. And it's, that development is sort of starting to radicalize people in a sort of divergent way. You know, some people are really embracing these new developments and, you know, thinking about the potential it has to help people. And others, the people who are more concerned with things like, you know, playing God, if they see that line is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, it's going to start to worry them a lot more Mm -hmm. to the point that, you know, it might, it might be getting closer faster than they can think themselves out of it, faster than they can think, hey, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't that bad. Maybe this new advancement is actually okay and could actually help people. And I think that's sort of why we're seeing these the this growing surge and you know anti-science and anti-medicine is because science and medicine are starting to radically transform the human condition and that's scaring a lot of people and maybe scaring them
0: faster than they can come down from it it certainly seems that we're living in in a a state of accelerated fear Mm -hmm. and definitely from from a climate of, of change you know, I think as we kind of touched upon a little bit earlier, people are genuinely a little bit terrified of things they can't comprehend or understand and because it is happening at a more rapid pace. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was I was just curious because obviously it is very prominent and I was just, in my head, I was wondering, is, is this something that you see slowing down advancements in, in transhumanism? I don't think
1: they're going to slow down the development of new advancements because they're mostly reactionaries like right. you know they 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 oppose vaccines after they after they happen <laughs> yeah. um so i think if anything they might slow down the you know pace at which we can get these technologies out and the pace at which we can actually help people with them like you know there are a lot of people already talking about turning down the coronavirus vaccine yeah. and i think the people who are doing that are you know i don't think they're going to be Trying to stop the vaccine from being manufactured, but they're not going to take it themselves and they're going to be putting other people at risk by not doing so. So I think we might just see this divide between the anti science people and the pro science people just in the near future, at least, just get wider as more people just sort of start to react to these things rather than behave in any kind of proactive way
0: yeah I, I i think that's pretty much what we'd be looking at mm-hmm. because, because as you say i i don't feel like it's going to slow down the development of it. i think it's maybe going to slow down um general widespread public acceptance because i think that gap's going to get wider and because mm-hmm. you know there's such a, a amplification uh, on on the voices of 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 anti science and the sort of fear behind it but yeah I, it's just interesting you know um discovering this topic and at, at the time That we're living in now it's a curious time to kind of venture into into this with all the sort of variables that the current world is is sort of throwing at us yeah it's Um, definitely
1: curious yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it is for sure um so i want to kind of get into a little bit of ethics um and no doubt you have maybe come across some of these before so my first question for you is is there any risk in your mind of transhumanism being militarized in the future is that a factor we should be concerned with
1: well that'll depend on what technologies we ultimately pursue um you know there are multiple paths a person could potentially take to you know improving their own lives through transhumanism like you know there's life extension and things like ai integration through brain chips that kind of thing prosthetic limbs I think uh, some of these technologies have more potential for militarization than others. Prosthetics probably have a lot of application in the military. Life extension, probably not so much. I definitely think some technologies that could be considered under the transhumanist umbrella have the potential for, you know, weaponization, though. And that's definitely unfortunate. This is kind of a difficult question because I myself am pretty anti-military and I'm anti-military in a vacuum relative to my transhumanist beliefs those are you know I even if I wasn't a transhumanist I'd still be anti-military just right. because especially in the United States a lot of the military stuff we do is extremely unethical mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people in the transhumanist community who agree with that and some who don't the the thing about it is though even even technologies that have nothing to do with advancing the human condition have the potential for militarization but also have the potential to be used to you know increase civilian quality of life like the internet improves our quality of life allows us to you know connect with our loved ones more easily but has also been used to advance the agendas of military groups so how we are going to deal with this in the future my preference would be that we just, you know, start defunding militaries and sort of, you know, definitely ending the, you know, armed conflict in the world. And a lot of transhumanists believe that we will eventually be able to end all armed conflict because, you know, transhumanism is the belief that we can use technology to improve people's lives. And the more people's lives improve, the less they need to fight about things. We do live in, a less violent time than we lived in a long, long time ago. And I think as technology develops, even if certain technologies have the potential for militarization, they'll ultimately bring down the volume of armed conflict
0: in the world. The next question I have in in terms of ethics is, do you feel that transhumanism could possibly be a catalyst for further class divide? If the, the means to sort of immerse yourself in technology and science that can create betterment comes at a certain price is that going to widen the gap between social classes and economic classes
1: i think potentially it could but at least from what i can tell historically technological development has you know greatly improved the average quality of life the world over like you could argue that you know the average person today has a much higher standard of living than monarchs of a few hundred years ago, because now, thanks to our advancing technology, things like penicillin and running water, hot water, are pretty pretty standard. Basically, yes, transhumanism could, in certain situations, increase class divides. But overall, what technology does is, you know, I think Humanity Plus framed it this way, is that while Transhumanism might not directly address things like how the metaphorical pie is divided up. It greatly increases the size of the pie that's being divided. So, while class issues are probably going to persist for quite a while, technology historically has improved the quality of life for pretty much everyone. You know, technological advancements become cheaper and cheaper as time goes on, pretty much everyone can get their hands on penicillin these days and, you know, prevent or cure illnesses that would have killed anyone a few hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot of transhumanists believe that social, myself included, believe that social and class issues are things we need to eliminate before we start seriously pursuing things like life extension, for example. Right. Back in the 90s, transhumanism was sort of a, sort of a movement with some more libertarian inclinations. But over time, it's shifted more and more to the left. And I think the issue of, you know, class dynamics is much more in the minds of transhumanists today. And it's something we really want to get sorted before we start pursuing things that could potentially exacerbate those issues.
0: See, that's, I think, something that people coming into this quite kind of freshly will will kind of take some some solace in in hearing, because Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, you know, the the idea of, as you say, like life extension immediately to people will be something that only those within a certain tax bracket or of a certain Mm -hmm. income could afford. And when we've already got a a pretty established um, gap between sort of social classes I imagine that's going to frighten a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting and it's it's reassuring to hear that uh, that is an issue that is sort of being taken seriously by transhumanists, that there mm-hmm. is this acknowledgement that, yes, we do have this current social structure and the gaps in between, and that the idea of, of maybe squeezing them closer together and sort of cutting out that divide before we start getting into and pursuing ideas of, of life extension is, is pretty reassuring.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wide wide access is the phrase a lot of transhumanists use. I think it was first used by uh, Nick Bostrom in his Transhumanist Values essay. Uh, But transhumanists are definitely one thing we want is to make sure that everyone can access these new technologies that are going to improve our lives and that everyone can take advantage of them.
0: All right. So the, um, the, the last question on ethics, and I suppose it's probably the big one that you hear a lot is uh, is transhumanism actually pushing us further away from what it is to be human
1: the transhumanist answer to this question is maybe a little off-putting to some people but it's yes and that's a good thing <laughs> a lot of people even non-religious people consider Humanity as it exists today, the human form, the human body as it was created by evolution to be sacred, Mm -hmm. uh, to be something that we shouldn't mess with. And transhumanists believe that hey, you know, the human body, the human species is just one of millions of species spat out by the, you know, horrible, violent crucible of evolution. I don't remember who it was that said human lives are inclined to be nasty, brutish, and short but they are the human body what we evolved to be was you know not a very civilized or healthy creature and if we can if we can through technology leave the more violent parts of ourselves behind then that's a good thing yeah for sure
0: if we can divide that from ourselves and and mm-hmm. leave that uh Behind, that's definitely an advancement. But I think yeah. the the reason I, I've asked that question, and I think the reason that question exists, especially for people just venturing into this or, or trying to get their head around it, is the the idea of going against, I suppose, the natural order of mm-hmm. things and the things that we've come to know, and just there is this this general acceptance of what the human condition is, or what parts of the human condition are. And I guess a part of that is is struggle and overcoming obstacles, um, yeah, in a natural sense. And so I, I guess that's why the question is is there, people kind of wonder if we're if we're moving past those, and we're making it easier or making those sort of struggles and obstacles non-existent. Mm-hmm. Then are we are we stripping away what it is to actually be human?
1: I think the most. Important part of what being a human is the part that really sets us apart from all the other animals, all the other life forms, that sets us apart more than anything from any other life form is our ingenuity and our drive to innovate. That's what, you know, turned us from orangutans into what we are today. And that's what has the potential to take us even further. So I would say that if transhumanism is going to drive us away from you know, our human nature. It's because the dominant part of our human nature is to drive ourselves forward.
0: I want to touch upon uh, deafism Mm -hmm. real quick, because I... I found this infinitely fascinating. Could you give us just a brief explanation of what deathism is?
1: Uh, Deathism is the belief that because for all of human history, death has been an unstoppable force that one way or another you can't escape from, that death shouldn't be prevented just because up until now it couldn't be. This usually manifests in the belief that aging in particular is, you know, a beautiful natural process that, you know, we all need to go through to really be human. And the transhumanist belief is essentially based in rejecting this relationship with death and understanding that everything that, you know, kills us is something that's external to us for the most part, whether it be, you know, tigers or radiation giving us cancer or nature of particles leading our dna to deteriorate and if we could develop the technology to prevent all of these things then we shouldn't not do that just because for all of our
0: history Death has been inevitable. Why is it? Do you think that the average person so readily accepts what is referred to as a natural death? Why is it that we have found ourselves in this position where it's just it's it's the inevitable outcome, it's the inevitable conclusion, and we're kind of, despite being terrified of dying, and Mm. despite taking preventative measures, like in the manifesto you mentioned, we use seatbelts. Yeah. Die in a car crash. Why is it we do that? Why is it we take certain preventative measures against that, but yet we just so readily accept as they say what is considered a natural end to our cycle?
1: Well, the uh, in the field of psychology, it's referred to as terror management theory. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What that means is because presently dying from quote unquote natural causes is inevitable, most people can either accept that or go insane and the subconscious part of your brain wants you to accept that so you you know can live your life while you have your life and over time that you know and over the thousands of years that humanity has existed and the billions of people who have died that's compounded into some really really strong beliefs that aging is natural and that death is something that we all should experience it's sort of a it's sort of a hypnosis situation we're just sort of um what Aubrey de Grey who's one of the leading researchers in the field of anti-aging described it is as as is a pro-aging trance and I'm not I'm not extremely fond of that phrase because you know There are are natural forms of death other than aging, and there Mm -hmm. are unnatural deaths. But aging is, you know, what gets a lot of people, and it's what people are most invested in, in terms of this belief that it's something, you know, we should experience. And so that's where transhumanists lay a lot of their focus is on uh, dispelling the acceptance of aging, because it's sort of a catch-all,
0: I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Let me ask you this, James, if we do reach a point where we can manage to establish a successful cure against dying from old age, do you see that coming with impactful problems such as like, overpopulation, the acceleration for further environmental damage or economic issues?
1: Well, overpopulation, I think, is not really nearly as big of an issue as people believe it is. Um, you know, the carrying capacity of the earth sort of shifts with technology. And- nowadays we can produce more food than the human race needs to survive with only a fraction of the population involved in farming. I think as technology advances, the issues people associate with overpopulation are going to continue to, you know, sort of dissipate. I also don't really think overpopulation is an issue yet Uh, a lot of the issues people associate with overpopulation like like you said environmental issues are really a consequence of the way we live today like the environmental damage being caused to the earth by the human population is not caused by people living it's caused by people using cars that run on archaic fossil fuels right and as technology continues to advance, we will be able to eliminate the things that, you know, create these problems for us. And the other thing is that people aren't immortal yet. And these issues are still things we're already having to grapple with. Mm -hmm. Even if people continue to die from old age, climate change has already reached the point where it's a, uh, I think the term is runaway effect, where even if everyone on the earth dropped dead right now, there's so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that the earth would still keep getting hotter. Right. The only way to address the issues with overpopulation and like climate change are to address them directly with advancements in technology that allow us to, at this point, reverse them. Just leaving people to die is not only, you know, A pretty unethical way of facing these issues but it's happening right now and it's not working
0: okay so i'm cutting in here for just a moment we are going to come back to james in just a moment or two but i need to i don't need to but i feel like i should in case anybody is coming into this with a completely clean slate explain and sort of preface one of the next topics we're going to be talking about and that topic is that of biohackers or as they are more crudely known grinders Now, you may have come across this term, you may know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm going to presume that there's a few of you out there that don't. What biohackers are, essentially, are a sort of subsect, a sort of uh, side group of the transhumanist culture and community that are taking more tactile approaches, more hands-on approaches to implementing ideas of transhumanism, some of which are really interesting and potentially innovating, some of which are kind of extreme and a bit out there, to say the least, and some of them are sort of nestled somewhere in between. One of, if not the most popular biohack or go-to modification are biomagnets. And I guess the crass explanation of this is essentially that magnets usually disc-shaped are placed beneath the skin, typically of the fingertips or palm, and, you know, once that modified area enters a magnetic field... The magnet reacts and stimulates nerve endings in the fingers of the hand. So, kind of giving you, I guess, a, a sort of sixth sense or extra sensory capabilities. Larger magnets can be inserted and used for lifting and moving compatible objects. Now, as cool as this kind of sounds, on the surface there are problems. You know, you do run the risk of infection if you're doing it yourself without any clear knowledge. Um, you know, you possibly... I don't know, but possibly could run the risk of damaging electronic devices, small ones, especially handheld ones like your phone. And as is outlined in an article, which I'll put in the show notes and over on the website, dimed-out.com, there's an article that I found by Aidy Robertson for The Verge, which talks about how her magnet expired. Yeah, definitely worth checking it out. It's an interesting sort of individual insight into it from somebody that has done it and kind of probes their experiences a little bit in that article. Another popular biohack, probably it's up there with magnets, I think, maybe a little bit below, is RFID and NFC chip implants. So yeah, it's kind of touched upon by James in the in the following part of the interview. But essentially, RFID and NFC chips are often implanted in the back of the hand, usually between the thumb and index finger or along the wrist. The reason for this is it becomes a functional modification in the sense that they can and often are used for identification purposes like unlocking doors or logging into computers or smart devices. Essentially becoming the most personal key you could ever possibly own without ever needing to put it on a keychain or possibly losing it. So yeah, if you've ever accidentally locked yourself out of your house then yeah, I'm sure you can see the appeal in that. There are plenty of others I'm not going to go into them, but I do have another article for you to check out if you want to dig into them, including Rob Spence's iborg project, which is infinitely fascinating. The sort of shortened version of that is a filmmaker who has one eye is trying to create a camera eye for himself. Uh, yeah, that is a really sort of uh, truncated version of it. Definitely worth checking out and reading about in full, and you can do that by finding the link in the show notes to a article for where were they digital trends or you can go to as i said the website dimed-out.com and find both links to both articles there if you want to dig a little bit deeper into biohacking anyway that is enough of me rambling about the subject that i know very very little about let's get into it with somebody who knows a great deal more than i do yeah let's jump back into the interview with james and uh yeah here we go I want to kind of go off on on a side tangent. I'm going to kind of get back into the into the idea of life expansion in just a moment or two. But a side tangent which interests me, and I guess will interest uh, people that are maybe coming into this and and taking in a lot of information,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, things that are very sort of forefront and present when you when you look into the surface level of transhumanism is uh, grinders and biohackers.
1: Oh yeah, I love those guys.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you this. Do you perceive people taking these these measures, uh, grinders and biohackers, people taking tactile approaches themselves, do you see that as a move forward for transhumanism? Or is that something that in your experience and, and people that you've, you've talked with and, and deal with, is that something that you guys feel has stoked criticism from the outside world?
1: I guess if I had to summarize or sort of uh, summarize the position of the rest of the transhumanist community on the biohackers, it would be that they have drawn some criticism to us, mm-hmm. but that those criticisms are invalid. Um, the bi- Depending on, you know, what you do in terms of biohacking, some of those people are doing things that are probably not very good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. but. Transhumanists believe one of our core values is morphological freedom, which is the belief that you should be able to do whatever you want with your own body. And, you know, if if you want to get a bacterial infection, putting an RFID chip in your hand so you don't have to use a key to unlock your door,
2: yeah.
1: that's your right. I think some biohackers are maybe a little reckless, but I think the ones who are, you know, maybe take a slightly more scientific approach to it and who you know try and at least apply the scientific method and you know try and make sure they're doing things safely I think those guys are really cool and they're really maybe the best practical realization of transhumanism that we have today yeah well
0: it I guess for me and the reason that I bring up this, um, the idea of, of criticism, I suppose is because it's like so many other sort of forms of culture that we've seen in the past. You have two camps, really. You have people that approach it from a somewhat negligent kind of uh, standpoint who don't really truly know what they're doing and don't know why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I guess the criticism from the outside world comes from. And that's where you know uh, the skepticism from from people that don't really investigate it come from and because it's, it's easier to latch onto something that looks from the outside a little bit crazy a little bit mm-hmm. uh, unexplainable a little bit mind-boggling but really people actually coming into it with the right approach with the right amount of knowledge with the right intentions can really as I said in, in other cultural formats and circles that we've seen throughout history push things forward mm-hmm. from a ground level
1: yeah, and I I also appreciate the biohackers because while they have drawn a bit of criticism, they've really helped to and I I think show that, you know, a lot of people their criticism of transhumanism is that they only see it as Apple putting a phone in your brain instead of your hand. And I really appreciate that the biohackers have shown that a lot of transhumanists don't actually think that and don't actually accept the you know sort of corporate possibilities of transhumanism
0: is that a thread within the community that like the, that there will be a corporate approach that there will be sort of not so much a corporate takeover but there will be a more corporate integration that you're going to get more big name um fortune 500 companies getting involved in this
1: yeah most transhumanists you know do understand that we live in this highly corporate, highly capitalist world and that in the near future, at least this is, that might be the way that Mm -hmm. these technologies are realized. Yeah. And I don't think, I've never met anyone who wants that to be the case. I've never met anyone who wants an Apple chip in their brain. So I think even though the biohackers have, you know, drawn some criticism to the community for their, uh, sometimes reckless approaches i think there's a thread in the transhumanist community of really appreciating them for you know taking taking it into their own hands
0: yeah to me and and it's a slightly weird analogy i guess but to me it is very reminiscent of um of punk rock
1: yeah i think i've actually seen the term biopunk used to yeah. describe <laughs> the biohacker community and i think that's i think that's really cool
0: yeah i do too and and it's kind of like obviously when you first stumble across it, it is a little bit jarring especially if if you are coming in with with little to no knowledge of Mm -hmm. of the whole uh culture and movement but yeah that's something that kind of really stuck out to me was like this is is kind of like a very punk rock approach with a potential Mm -hmm. to to really move this forward if if you know projected with the right intentions from the right angle.
1: I I think as, you know, technology and medicine continue to advance and, you know, with the advent of the internet, all that knowledge that we have about science and technology is in anyone's hands. I think the biohacker community is really going to expand a lot and also, you know, over time develop into something that's much more, I guess you could say, responsible Mm -hmm. and uh, more, you know, scientifically you know, you know, more inclined to do these things safely. And I think that'll be really cool to see.
0: I want to jump back into uh, life expansion, because this does seem to be like, uh, like a key element from what I can tell to transhumanism. Yes. What is the legit possibility of life expansion in the future? Is this something that is feasible? And is there a a potential estimated projected timeline for this?
1: Uh, Life extension isn't, something that's you know in the realm of debate of feasibility anymore. It's it's actually happening in labs. I know a few years ago different scientists have discovered several ways of stopping and reversing aging in white mice. Uh, you know, which is the the general white mice are you know very chemically similar to humans. They're generally the stepping stone to human trials for certain things. So anti-aging technologies already exist in their infancy and I think you know well within our lifetimes probably within maybe the next couple decades we'll start to see them be realized in you know a more attainable way in terms of you know we might start to see actual treatments for aging
0: what treatments would those include like what are we looking at here
1: um I know that one of the ones that's been really successful in mice is a plasma transfusion. You can transfuse plasma from young mice into old mice and it'll actually stop their aging and, uh, you know, make them behave more youthfully. Mm -hmm. I think in the near future, we'll start to see, um, probably start to see like either um, supplements you can take to slow Mm -hmm. the aging process that introduce... You know certain enzymes into your body. I think it was a. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Kurt on YouTube made a really cool video summarizing some of the more successful treatments that we've seen in white mice, and uh, I think you know we'll start to see those in the forms of like maybe prescriptions within the near future.
0: I hope so, anyway. So it's more of a it's more of a biochemical approach. You feel is is the way this is moving.
1: Yes, currently life extension is being pursued pretty much exclusively from a biochemical angle, just because that's a science we've developed already. You know, there are some people who believe in more radical approaches, things Mm -hmm. like uh, mind uploading.
0: I was just about to ask about that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, um, that's a bit farther off than, you know, these biochemical life extension technologies that are already in development, though. Yeah.
0: Just me again, real quick, before we get into the last section of the interview with James. We touched upon that, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit more detail here. Mind uploading, which, if you don't know, which, you know, again, I'm just going to presume that some people don't. It is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. The idea that uh, the sort of construct of a brain and its mental state is copied and transferred to a computer. Yeah, so it is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It does exactly what it says on the tin, which presumably you already would have figured out, but, you know, you never know. And we do get into, in a little bit, when we talk about AI, we get into the idea of singularity, which, again, you probably do know, but if you don't, the very crass, very crude, very basic nuts and bolts sort of definition of singularity is the idea that at one point in time, Artificial intelligence will surpass human intelligence and be able to function on its own. So, yeah, if you didn't know, which presumably, again, you did, you kind of do now. Kind of. Do you feel like mind uploading? Because it does seem like that is a number of steps. If Mm -hmm. if it is even feasible or possible, I don't know. I haven't done any research into this. Um, Mm -hmm. But if it is feasible or possible, that seems like that that is way down the sort of list of priorities and and down the the list of base building um, as it were. Do you see it as something that is, is feasible and possible? Oh, absolutely.
1: I uh, studied computer science and neuroscience as an undergrad specifically because I'm interested in brain computer interfaces. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I'm going to make a bold claim here and say that mind uploading is absolutely 100% feasible and Probably within our lifetimes. Wow. The human brain, when you really break it down to its core components, uh the the action potentials that our neurons use to communicate with each other are uh thresholded signals, which means it's either, you know, in computer science terms, it's either a zero or a one. Yeah. So in theory, the connectome of the human brain could be broken down and condensed to something resembling the artificial neural networks we already create for machine learning applications. Mm -hmm. And there are a few gaps in neuroscience's understanding of cognition, which is, you know, the more complex aspect of human thought. And I think in the near future, we're going to see neuroscience and computer science sort of converge on each other. Uh, You know, the, the big thing in computer science right now is artificial neural networks. And in my neuroscience classes, there were a lot of, you know, comparisons to computers in the way that the brain functions. So I think neuroscience and computer science are really starting to converge on each other right now. Yeah. And once they sort of meet in the middle, we'll have the understanding we need to potentially, you know, create and upload minds into into a, you know, a, a computer.
0: Well we're in, in the realm of this. It's a little bit of a side tangent, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of just touch upon, just to finish up really, uh, artificial intelligence, both as it is now and as is in the future. Um, And the the question I have for you is, is the continued advancement and sort of integration of AI into our daily human life something we should be concerned about? Or is it something we should be more uh, willing to embrace?
1: I think it's worth being concerned about, but I'm also going to say that a lot of the public opinion on artificial intelligence is really misguided due to just like a misunderstanding of how modern AI systems really work. Mm-hmm. AI at this point really, you know, has the values of the person controlling it. A lot of people think AI is going to be a threat in and of itself, but AI is really only going to be a threat if it's used by corporations and governments in you know negligent or outright malicious ways i definitely think ai is something that we should be pursuing but we should also be pursuing what's called ai alignment um ensuring that ai systems you know have our best interests at heart and are safe for us
0: yeah and that's kind of like the the reason behind me me sort of dipping into to ai because you know as as it rapidly progresses and, and you know with the advancements in transhumanism m- my sort of line of questioning is is the progressing of artificial intelligence and the possibility of a transhumanist future uh, is that something that could coexist or do you see artificial intelligence being perhaps a rival towards like the advancement of a, of a transhumanist future
1: oh i think i think they'll definitely coexist you know people see artificial intelligence as something very external to people, mm-hmm. to themselves. But, you know, with the advancement of things like brain-computer interfaces, which a lot of people really underestimate how advanced brain-computer interfaces are, but, you know, they, they've they been in labs for decades now. And I think as those two technologies sort of continue to advance alongside each other, we won't see AIs as, you know, another population of beings with their own intentions and desires but ai will just sort of you know be something that we integrate into both our society and ourselves and in that way i don't think ai will be an opponent to us because it'll more likely just be a part of us you can already sort of see that in things like you know i was about to say things like siri and alexa but those are like you know corporate applications. Um,
0: they are. I see where you're coming from. I mean, on on like a very minor scale, yeah, because mm-hmm. we're integrating them more into our our daily life. And yeah, it's more of like a, a not so much a reliance, but almost like a companionship mm-hmm. of sorts, or, or like a partnership of sorts. Yeah. the 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 thing that I'm I'm interested in, I guess, in in terms of AI and 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 like its its position with, within transhumanism and just humanity as a whole and it's it's an interesting point you brought up about not considering it as a separate population mm-hmm. um, is is the idea of singularity is this something that you feel we should be taking seriously as a potential outcome, and if so, if singularity ever does occur, is that something that we we should be concerned with
1: uh I might get a lot of flack for this <laughs> from my fellow transhumanists, but I've never really taken the idea of the singularity tm super seriously um mm-hmm. just because at least not any time in the near future just because I don't know it's it's the way modern ai's work the way we like train them we're not really working towards that kind of ai at this time and I don't know. The the idea that someday we'll create this super powerful borderline omnipotent AI and it'll solve all our problems for us is has always been maybe silly is too mean of a word, but it's just, you know, I, I, I've always been focused on more practical, you know, near-term possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the idea of a singularity is impossible. I just think it's not something that technology is trending towards right now right
0: i think i think you you i'm in a similar sort of area as you are with this kind of thinking and i know what you mean about saying silly is maybe not the right word but i do definitely feel like you know the the technology is is gearing towards and and there is the potential for it to be a thing Mm. but i also feel that the the idea of as you say singularity becoming this this point of of technological omnipotence mm-hmm. is a little bit stoked maybe by by fear a little bit and and maybe a touch of flight of fancy it's a weird grey area between mm-hmm. a possibility and like uncertainty um, acting like an exposed nerve i guess to, yeah. to, to negative possibilities
1: it's it's definitely it's Singular, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this word. Singularitarianism is definitely, I would say, probably the most like radical uh, sort of branch of transhumanism. It's a very high concept belief system, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I've never really, you know, been able to digest it.
0: Right? Is it more of a? I presume it's more of a sort of niche subsection. Of, of the transhumanist,
1: yeah i think so i think um you know most i think most transhumanists are what you might call life extensionists they're mostly concerned with you know extending the human lifespan mm-hmm. and more you know near future expansions of human health and well-being and on the other end are you know the singularitarians who are believe in this really incredible but also maybe not super feasible or more far future possibility and i i guess i'm sort of in the middle i suppose
0: yeah it's not a bad place to be i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's it's not a place of complete denial but it's also not buying into to the hype wholesale yeah. as well mm-hmm. So there you go, that was my conversation with James, all about transhumanism. I personally find this whole thing incredibly fascinating, because there are so many arms to it. You can look at it from the DIY punk rock aesthetic of biohackers. You can look at the copper integration, which to be honest, had never really occurred to me before I actually spoke to James, but now he's mentioned it? Yeah, you can totally see how that is definitely a huge part of transhumanism, especially in the current climate. You can look at all the potential benefits that it may serve the future. You can question all of its ethical properties. You can dive so deep into so many different areas. You can look at it from a philosophical standpoint. This thing really does have a number of mechanical tentacles reaching out into all different places. That, for me, is what makes it so fascinating and hopefully... You guys have found it just as interesting, if not more, than I have. If you have and you want to dive deeper into this subject, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find James's work and his research all collected into one website. And that website, again, is transhumanistmanifesto.com. You can find a link to it in the show notes and over at the website, and I'll also be putting it out on social media this week, along with the links to the articles mentioned earlier in the show as well. So, yeah... Plenty and, and outside of that, there's just plenty of source material for you to dive into. But yeah, if you are looking at this from a, a sort of ground floor view, like I have been, then yeah, James's work is definitely the thing that you need to dive into for sure. A little bit later this week, we're going to be doing a bonus episode. It's going to be a little bit silly, a little bit fun, but it's kind of detached to the idea of artificial intelligence. I'm going to be having, or at least attempting, to have a conversation with. Alexa, because apparently this is a function, and I am kind of interested to see how much or how little we can actually converse. Mainly to see if she can understand half the things I say through my accent, and also just how responsive she is to tone and all that other good stuff that comes with speech intonation. Is that the word I'm thinking of? Probably not. It's probably completely different. But anyway, that's going to be happening a little bit later this week, so make sure you watch The Skies. And your feed, I guess, would probably be the better place to keep an eye on for a bonus episode of me talking with Alexa. I'm probably even going to film it and put it on the YouTube channel, which, by the way, we do actually have. So if you don't know, well, now you know. And there's plenty of stuff on (laughs) there. I use this term stuff loosely. There is uh, episodes of the podcast. There's a bunch of weird short video edits I've made recently, which probably are only funny to me. But hey, I had a good time making them, so that's all that matters, right? Sure, that's what I tell myself anyway. But yeah, you can help out the show by subscribing and clicking the little ding-dong notification bell and all that good stuff. But if you really do want to help the show, the best way you can do that is by subscribing to the actual podcast itself, which is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Pretty much, we're pretty much everywhere, because we're really not picky, So yeah, wherever you get your pods from, if you haven't done so yet, do subscribe. It helps us out with all the internet magic and algorithms and sparkly Shazam stuff of of ones and zeros and all that good stuff. And if you're feeling extra helpful, you can always give us a rating and a review, because that also helps us out tremendously. Apparently. I haven't actually checked this, but I think it does. Probably does something good. Has to, right? The other added incentive for you, and the bonus for you guys, for you, beloved listener, is if you do subscribe to the show, then you never miss an episode. It just drops it straight into your device without you having to do anything. And believe me, you do not want to miss out on next week's episode. Not only is it another landmark episode, that's right, number 20, it's a tiny victory. So what? I'm taking it. All the tiny victories I can gather, I'm taking them especially in this day and age. But next week's episode, we sit down with the wonderful human being that is Scott Davidson, the man, the founder, the creator, the driving force behind Living Adaptive. Now, Living Adaptive, I want you to go off and and dig into this a little bit before next week's episode. Living Adaptive is something I am completely behind, fully behind. I am a big advocate of this. Living Adaptive is Scott Davidson's community, which welcomes in And shines a light on stories from people that have disabilities or have physical conditions. And it shows how they've not only adapted, but how they have thrived and excelled. It is an amazing platform that has a real sole purpose of building people up instead of tearing them down. And in this day and age, that is what we need. And on that note, that pretty much does it for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves, guys. I mean that, sincerely. It's it's still pretty hairy out there. So you need to be looking after yourselves and you need to be looking after each other. So yes, yes, yes. Until next time, look after yourself. Look after each other. And as always, until next time, keep it dimed out.